Hello, and welcome to another message from Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. If you'd like to find out more about us or what we believe, please visit aldingabaybaptist.org.au. Encourage us in speaking to our lives as you do, as you do just so regularly as you're wanting to do so often, Lord. May we have ears to hear. May we appreciate the fact that this is the Word of God and the Word of life. And so we commit this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are doing the series, continuing the series, The Footsteps of the King. And today is yet another one of those just really well-known Bible stories, isn't it? Jesus feeds the 5,000. I mean, everybody knows that one if you've been in church at all for any length of time. In fact, it's the only miracle that's in all four of the Gospels. And so it's kind of hard to miss it, Jesus feeding the 5,000. But... um, In John's gospel, where we are today, he gets the most comprehensive treatment. And that's because uh, in John's gospel, what we end up with is uh, the dialogue uh, that happens afterwards. After Jesus feeds the 5,000, there's this really lengthy dialogue, lots of words in red, if you like, as you work your way through John chapter 6. And it's interesting. This is the passage where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he goes on and he says, unless, unless, if you keep on reading, we didn't read this far, but he goes on and he says this, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. You think, wow, that's, did you catch that? I mean, it's, it's a pretty harsh thing to say, isn't it? It's, that's a shocking thing to say. It's almost, it's confronting. It feels confronting even as I say it this morning. Unless you eat my flesh, and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Why would Jesus say something like this? That's the question, isn't it? And really, what this text is telling you, just in a nutshell, to give you the short answer on that, in a nutshell, Jesus is telling us about the desperate need that we have, that you have for him. And on top of that, this text is also telling us something really important, and it's this. Not only do we have a desperate need for Jesus, but we are really slow in understanding that and in working that out. We just completely miss it. And that's what, to, that's what I want us to think about this morning in a really important text. So what is it that we are looking for? And what is it that Jesus is calling us to, if you like? And there's three points this morning that I want to unpack. One is about our desires, okay? I want to think about our desires. Then secondly, our deep need. And then finally, how Jesus is realigning our thinking through through these words. So let's unpack that and, and work our way through it, shall we? Uh, try and stay with me. Hopefully you're not too cold, you know, if you didn't bring your jacket. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll work our way through this. This passage starts off and it is talking about the fact that we're looking for something, or at least these people are. Notice how it goes in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6. After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. So it's kind of a picture there, isn't it? Do you get the picture? Can you sort of put yourself in that place that day? You know, people spot Jesus. He's walking through. And all of a sudden, it seems like people just down tools. They thought, ah, because maybe it's a week, a weekday. I assume it is, you know. And so they put down the tools, take off the aprons, and people just start following after Jesus, and they follow him around to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. 
And we're told exactly why it is they did it, wasn't it? Was it because they've seen the signs that he was doing on the sick? Well, that's pretty amazing. You know, by now we already see that Jesus has done all sorts of things. You know, he's, there's been people that have had leprosy, people that are blind and lame, and, and Jesus has brought healing to those people. So it's just simply amazing. I'm sure if I was there on that day, they would have done exactly the same thing. You know, with a down tool, there's Jesus. Let's just go after him and hear what he's got to say because Jesus is amazing. Jesus does this sort of thing all the time. It's really incredible. They go after him and they, they want to, they want, really they want Jesus to meet their needs. You know, they, they know what he can do and they're looking for him to do that. I think that's really interesting, actually. I reckon there's a point there that's worth noting. I think it tells us something about ourselves. I think it tells you something about yourself. It tells us something about people the world over. And it's simply this. See what you think. But it's this. We are people that have desires, and we have desires for things that are simply so often unfulfilled. That's the way it is in life. You know, we need people to help us. We have to work for those things. You know, we're looking for certain things in life. Every one of us. That's why we go after romance, isn't it? We, we're looking for someone to love us. We, we need something like that. Or, you know, that's, we, we desire for security. So we try and work hard to put up a nest egg, you know, so there's, there's money for the future. We want a certain amount of agency in our life, which is, which is good and healthy. You know, we, there's, there's something healthy about a certain amount of autonomy where we're not dependent on other people telling us what to do all the time. So we, we live in a world where, there are, where we all have desires and we all have needs, and the truth, the truth is that they are good things. And so these people go after Jesus because why? Well, because they want to have a healthy life. You know, they want him, no doubt, to, to free them from poverty and free them from oppression and, and free them from disease, and they know. This is the beautiful thing about Jesus, isn't it? They know that he can do just this because they've seen him do this. And it's amazing. This is what the Bible tells us, the gospel tells us about Jesus. He is simply amazing. He does this sort of thing. And on this particular day, they are not disappointed because they go into the wilderness. They follow Jesus to this remote place and he goes up on a hill, we're told, and he starts preaching to them. And in the other gospels and the synoptics, it goes on for a while. Jesus is teaching them all day and then it comes to the end of the day and they're a long way from anywhere and they're hungry. And so Jesus turns to Philip and he says, where can we get some food to feed these people? And there's 5,000 plus people there at this particular place. And so it's a bit of a comedy, really. Without unpacking the story too much, it's a bit of a comedy, really, because Philip says, what do you mean? Food for these people, you know, months and months and months of wages would not be enough money to buy just a little food for these people. What do you mean we're going to get food for these people? And then, as it turns out, there's a boy there with five barley loaves and two fish. And Jesus gives thanks and he gets the people to sit down and he gives the five loaves and two fish to the disciples. And every single person there on that particular day has been given enough food so that their bellies are full. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? You know, this is a little bit like, if you were here a few weeks ago, this is a lot like the story at the wedding at Cana. Do you remember that, where Jesus turns the water into wine? And the thing about that story is it's just lavish. It's abundance. And one of the things this passage is telling us, just like the story of the wedding at Cana, is that when the Messiah is here, 
there is life to the full and there is abundance and there is absolutely everything that we need. That's what this passage, one of the things that this passage is telling us. And it's a really beautiful thing. It's what Jesus is like. How good is that we buy into that? With Jesus, there is abundance and there is life to the full. That's really worth remembering. He provides. But this passage isn't going on a little bit further than that because the people see, the people see when they see Jesus do this in the wilderness, they make a parallel to Moses. In fact, it's just before Passover, this story. And so it's all, they're thinking about Moses all the time. You know, Moses leads them out of Egypt. He leads them into the wilderness and Moses feeds them with manna in the wilderness while they're there for 40 years, which is literally bread from heaven. And so they see Jesus feeding them with bread here in the wilderness and they say, you know, this is the prophet you know, that God has promised, which is really a, a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 18 where Moses actually says, one day God will raise up a prophet like me. And so they're waiting for this person to come and they say, that's him. And it's got sort of messianic overtones because they want to at this point in time now take Jesus and make him their king. So this passage, the first point is talking about our desires. We long for things. We long for things and they're good things. God gives us desires. They're not necessarily wrong. They might be, but they're not necessarily wrong. God gives us desires for things and we long for those things. And these people are looking to Jesus to provide for them with their desires. That's the first point, our desires. But it goes on from here, this passage. It takes an interesting twist after all of this, doesn't it? You think about it. The second point is really about our greatest need. And that's how it goes. Verse 15, this is where it turns. There's a bit of a hinge. And listen to what it says in verse 15. After Jesus has done all this, it says, Jesus perceived then they were about to come and take him by force and to make him king. So Jesus withdrew again to the mountain to be by himself. It's interesting, isn't it? Why does Jesus withdraw? You know, given the fact that, given the fact that these people have very real needs, he withdraws, well, I'm sure nobody wants to be taken by force, so that's probably one of the reasons why Jesus goes and withdraws himself. But there's much more to it than this. Jesus withdraws himself because he doesn't want to be their king and to provide for them in the way that they're wanting to be provided for at this point in time. Don't you think that's just a little bit interesting? I think it is when I think about it because I think, I thought these are, these are good things. I, it's the point I'm trying to make. These are good things to be fed, to no longer be hungry, to be freed from oppression, to be freed from disease and all those things that Jesus does. They're good things. In fact, the church, ever since the inception of the church, has been on about that sort of thing. You know, we've, we've tried to help people with, you know, freeing them from disease, freeing them from hunger, you know, freeing them from, from oppression. These are things that the church has done and for good reason and show we, so we should because we're called to do that. In fact, the kingdom of God itself, this is the beautiful thing, isn't it? One of the great, the great hope when we think about it, the kingdom of God itself is that one day the king is going to come and liberate us completely from all of those things. So why is it that at this point in time when Jesus has got every opportunity to do just that, the very thing that we're looking for, he doesn't? That's a really good question. 
In fact, it's probably a question that you might well know the answer to, but it's really worth hearing it again, isn't it? And thinking about this. Why is it that Jesus doesn't just step in and do everything that they want him to do in regard to this? Well, the answer is what? It's, it's in fact, there's a little story in the Bible called, it's found in Genesis chapter 3, and it's called the fall. It's actually not that little at all, but the reality is that the thing that, that really is uh, the truth about us is the fact that we walked away from God. We've got to remember this. Whenever we think about the gospel, whenever we think about our needs and this world, we always need to put it through that little paradigm. The fact is that God created us for a relationship with him. He made us so that we would know him and so that we would walk with him and we'd find ourselves in him. But we walked away from that. We went our own way and the fall was about us saying no to God and yes to ourselves. And as a result of that, this is the gospel, isn't it? This is where it starts, at least anyway. As a result of that, we are broken people. We are not what we should be. We are filled with selfishness. We're filled with deceit and lies. And the truth is that there's a, there's a lot of darkness that runs through our heart. It's true of all of us. What's the problem with this world at the end of the day is you can look at a whole lot of things, but the truth, the greatest problem with this world is our heart. Wasn't it Chesterton that said something like that? What's wrong with this world? And he, he, someone pitched that question and he wrote back two words, I am That's the problem. I am the problem with this world. It's true of all of us. There is something wrong with us, if we're honest. And it's because we walked away from God. We're not right with ourselves, as we say so often. We're not right with each other. We're not right with this world because we're not right with God. And not only that, you know, the Bible talks about the fact that if we walk away from him, the warning that was given to Adam and Eve is that they would die. And a death comes in two forms. It's spiritual death, where we are not with God, we don't know him in the same way as we once did. The image is broken. The relationship is broken. And then on top of that, we are going to die ourselves. The great enemy that comes into our lives. It's true and it's worth thinking about that. You know, I, I uh, was just reflecting recently because across the road from us, there's been a house that stood since, uh, just after we moved in, we watched the place get built. And uh, a couple of families have moved in and moved out over the years. And then just recently, uh, just before Christmas, the week before Christmas of all weeks, the excavator moved in and they demolished the house. And all there is on that block now is just virgin soil. It's just, there's nothing there. I thought, oh, that's really interesting, isn't it? You know, it's just a really good reminder. Some things we think are the, the most solid things in life, bricks and mortar, put a house up, make a mark, you know, build a building and it's there. But apparently not, because it only took about two or three days for the excavator and there was nothing left. The truck had come and had taken all the rubbish away and there's nothing there anymore. It's like, oh, wow, that's what life's like. You know, it's, it's fleeting. And the very things that you think are concrete and solid, they'll just evaporate and they'll be gone. Nothing. So this is it. Genesis 3 speaks into all of that. It says that we were made for a relationship with God. We walked away. There's something desperately wrong with your heart. And at the same time, you are going to die. All the things you think are solid and lasting in this world, it's like that house across the road. 
the excavator comes in and there will be nothing left whatsoever. That's the reality, isn't it? And even more than that, the Bible warns, and it's, it's just not popular, but I, it, I just love to talk about it because it's there all the time. There's, the fact is that there's judgment as well. Because of our sins, we have to stand before God one day and he will look at our lives and he will be exacting when he looks at our lives. This world is pretty exacting at the moment of sins. And it is nothing compared to the exacting nature of God. That's the truth. Boy, that said, you know, and, and I can understand it because I catch myself in this place as well. But it is said that, um, that one of the things that is the biggest turnoff for Christianity is the fact that it speaks about judgment, that there is a God who will judge. People say, I don't want that. I'm not going to buy into that. Well, maybe, and I can understand that it's hard because, you know, I struggle with it too. But you know what? I think every time I struggle with it, I think this is kind of arrogant of me, isn't it, to just dismiss the judgment of God because I don't like it. I mean, this is millennia old that it talks about the fact that one day we're going to stand before God and he's going to look at our lives because he is the just judge and he's going to put everything right. So I think to myself, you know what, I, I might not like it, but it is there and it's been believed by generation after generation after generation. It was said by Jesus himself. You know, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's a deep thing because these things are real. So all of this, you know, is just the bad news, isn't it, and the reality of life and, it, and I I know we've camped on it for a while, but it is so important to stop and think about it because go back to the story and here are these people coming to Jesus and they want their bellies filled. And here are these people coming to Jesus. They want to be healed. They want to be freed from oppression. They want to be told some things about God and he's doing all of that. But then when it seems he's really going to turn up, he walks away from them. He walks away for the one reason is that the greatest need we have is not for those things. The greatest need that we have is to be made right, to be in a relationship with God. And so that's why Jesus is more than a miracle worker and he's more than a great teacher. But ultimately, ultimately, Jesus is the saviour of the world. The greatest thing Jesus does, and by far, by far, the most painful thing he does is the most necessary thing. He goes to the cross and he's those very same people that were gathered around him and loving him for what he was doing, the very same people that turn against him. The disciples walk away from him and he's humiliated. He's nailed to a cross. Wow, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? But worse than that, he takes your sin upon himself. He who knew no sin becomes sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God, the great exchange. That's the beauty of the gospel, isn't it? I don't want that ever to get old on me. You know, you think about it. The God of this world, the God who created us, took on flesh, became a servant, and died a miserable death on the cross for you. He walks away from these people 
that are just looking for everything right now. He walks away because he has something far greater that they need that they don't appreciate, and that is their need to be made right with the Father. So that's the great need. There's the desires that we have, and then there's the great need. And then following that, this last point, is the way that Jesus reorientates our thinking. And that's what this passage is about. You know, the last part of this passage, we didn't read into it a whole lot, but it's, it is this passage, as I said, where Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. You have no life in you. The reason why Jesus says that is because these people are about a million miles from where they should be in understanding their greatest need. Now, Jesus is using shocking language and we're supposed to be shocked by it because we're really a lot like these people, aren't we? I think it's very easy for us to come to Jesus as a bit of a supplement to our lives. You know, if I, if I, if I just get Jesus, he will kind of supplement everything that I need. He will just give me the advantage because that's how it works, isn't it? Think about it. Why do some people send their kids to Christian schools? It's like, well, I'm not really religious, but a bit of religion is good for people. You know, if I send them to a Christian school, then they'll they'll learn a bit of religion and it'll be good for them. They'll be able to live a better life. And it's, you know, sociologists, or at least some sociologists, will tell us things like people that have religion are happier. You know, they've got uh, a sense of purpose to their lives. Well, people that have religion have a sense of community because they've got groups like this that they come together and they meet with one another and it's, it's a really good thing for them. People that, um, that have religion just in general have more stable families and it's just good for you. And so sometimes we can come to Jesus because we think, oh, you know, if I come to him, well, it's, he's actually going to supplement my life, if you like. But one of the things about this passage that I can't get away from is that if we come to Jesus for those things, we will never find him. Because that's exactly what Jesus is on about here. That's why he says what he says. What he wants us to know is that he is the greatest need that we have. And he also wants us to know that he is the one who has done it all. It's the beautiful story of grace. Just listen to the words. Let me read some of chapter 6, some of the stuff we haven't read. But Jesus is speaking to them just after this and they want to make him king. And he says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So that's what we're talking about, isn't it? He, he meets their needs. But then he says to them and he says to us, do not labor for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you. And then he goes on, he says, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Over to verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What a great verse that is. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. All that the Father gives to me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never cast them out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing 
of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son of Man and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I'll raise him up on the last day. Those words, when I think about those words, it's sort of it's all that we're talking about right now, isn't it? It's the, it's the truth is that we desire so many things in this life and we, we give, we sell our soul almost for the things that we desire so strongly. But Jesus says, your greatest need is not those things. Your greatest need is me. And then what he's going on to tell us is that you can't earn it. You can't buy it. But I have come, I've given of my flesh and my blood. I've gone to the cross and died there. And if you give yourself to me, I will give you life and everything else that's thrown in. That's how the gospel works, isn't it? And this is how I think about it. I think our greatest need is Jesus. Our greatest need is salvation. And it's a gift of grace. We can't earn it. It's, it's given to us. And it's worth stopping and thinking about that in our own lives. You see, if, you're gonna, if we're going to go after the things in this world, if I'm going to go after the things in this world, I reckon I'm going to end up a pretty desperate person. I'm going to end up somebody that's really anxious because I'm all, if I think it's all about this world, I know it can be taken away in a moment. I'm going to be afraid of the sky falling in on me. I'm going to be afraid of, of someone coming along and taking it from me. I'm going to be afraid of running out of money. I'm going to be afraid of, of there being a global recession. I'm going to be afraid of a, of a global pandemic. I'm going to be afraid of everything. You know? and, I, and I'm going to be stingy with my money. I'm going to be tight. I'm going to be, I'm going to be somebody that's going to be so worried about my reputation that when people do bad things against me, I'm going to retaliate and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be gracious. I'm not going to be loving. Isn't that the way that the world works? See, it's because we're looking for the things in this world. This is where we think our greatest needs are. But the truth is, it's so different from that. That's what this passage is all about. That's why Jesus speaks in such shocking language. That's why it's worth unpacking it this way. Because Jesus comes and he says those shocking things because he's saying, stop and listen. What are you looking for? What are you living for? You just want your bellies filled from me. You want me to supplement your life but I'm actually offering something far greater than that. And if we do come to him and we do see that life's in him, it really should change you. It should transform you. It should change me and transform me. Because if I realize that it's all about Jesus and what he has done, and if I come to him simply by faith and give him my life, then he promises to forgive me. He promises to bring me into a relationship with the Father. And he promises that he will not lose anything. Nothing can change that. And if you really believe that, if you really do believe that, you will be changed. I will be changed. I think the great mark of how well I really believe those things is always seen in the way that I respond to things that happen to me in this world. So when I am treated badly, I don't have to become bitter because I say, you know what? My good father knows all these things. You know, when I'm, when I'm treated badly, I can forgive and I can show grace because it actually isn't all about me. You know, it's not about me and how well I get on in this world and my kingdom. It's about something far greater, that I belong to the great king. 
and this is his kingdom. See, it really, really will change us. And we don't have to be worried about our, our finances because we know there is a good shepherd watching over us and he loves us. And we don't have to be worried about, this doesn't mean we shouldn't be responsible, but there's a very big difference. Last week we were talking about fear. We don't need to be overcome by fear because there is a God who loves us. See, our greatest need is to know God and to belong to him. And if we do, we will be changed. You will be changed. I think about it this way. I think this world is offering us shadows and we, we play in those shadows and we think that that is it. But Jesus, the great king, he's the one that's truly, and he's the only one that can truly offer us life, true life, and it's found in him. That's the gospel. I guess the challenge for us today is to what degree do we really buy into that? To what degree do we realize we need to be shocked by Jesus' words when he says the things that he says in this passage? Shocked so that we stop and we realign our thinking. Or maybe we align it for the first time, but that's the challenge for us today. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this passage in John 6. It's the great miracle, the way that you are the the God who works all these things, the fact that you are coming again one day, Jesus, and all will be as it should be. But in the first place, you come to die. Your body is broken. Your blood is shed. We're called to eat of your body and drink of your blood. In that metaphorical way, we remember that you have done it all so that we might know you. Father, I pray that there are true realities of this world, which are those of you, the world to come, to know the Father. May those things truly penetrate our lives. May we readjust our thinking and our priorities. And may you just continue to convict us so we don't just play in the shadows, but we really look to you, the one who is the giver of life. We commit this to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.